Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy. I'm here today with Amy Alice Tan of Amy Ever After. Hello. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. We're having such a cheery conversation today about <laughs> um, estate planning and your will and medical directives. Um, but honestly, I feel like this is such a conversation that everyone needs to have with their parents, with their spouse, with their partner, with their siblings, um, and something that everyone puts off. I know a lot of people tackle it maybe when they have kids and they feel like they need to name guardianship because that seems so important. But, you know, making a will, it shouldn't be a giant, horrible thing, and it's actually not. So today on the show, we have Jenny Shaw Spradling. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of freewill.com, and she's going to join us to talk about how easy it is to create a will, create medical directives, create financial power of attorneys, all the documents you need to have, your digital life, and more importantly, how to have these conversations so that everyone's comfortable and everyone ends up in a better place afterwards because you know what people's wishes are and you don't have to guess if, God forbid, that time comes. So we will be right back with Jenny to have this conversation. We are back with Jenny Shaw Spradling, co-founder and co-CEO of freewill.com. Hi, Jenny. Hello. So happy to be here. We're so happy to have you on. I mean, this is um, one of those things that we have been talking about tackling for a while. And I think with COVID-19 um, obviously affecting everyone's life, this idea of estate planning, do you have, you know, very basically starting with, do you have a will, you know, do you have medical directives is become so important. Um, and I think also how to have these conversations with your loved ones um, has become very important. I think that's probably one of the reasons people put it off. So thank you for joining us to have this conversation today. Absolutely. And your intuition is spot on. You know, even on freewill.com, we've noticed that we have three times the traffic during COVID than we usually do. And I think a lot of that has to do with people realizing that this is an important task they've always had to do. But now is finally the time to have the conversation and, and take those next steps. What are you seeing? Like when people come, you know, I think one of the big hurdles, right, is people think, oh, this is really expensive. I need a lawyer. Um, it just seems intimidating. But that's not really true. Right. Um, so we started Free Will when we were at Stanford Business School and had done hundreds of interviews of people trying to understand why it was that in the U.S. only 30% of Americans have any estate planning done and 50% of baby boomers. So folks who are in a generation where you would expect they have some of this in place. Um, so that was very curious to me and my co-founder. And once we started interviewing people, we realized that there were really three reasons why they hadn't done it. One, they thought it was scary. Thinking about mortality is, is really hard. Two, um, being afraid that it's too complex. You know, most of us don't love doing taxes and it's that same instinct that makes us think, oh my gosh, estate planning, that's going to be even worse, even harder. Um, and the third reason is, to your point, that people think it's going to be expensive. And so the combination of those factors means that very few people end up doing it, even though every single person we interviewed said, yes, it's something I have to do at some point. It's so funny because I've been I've been um, 
walking with people in my community and there's a you know many more older people here and that is one thing that people keep saying is just oh i have to find an estate planner i have to find an estate attorney and it it makes it feel so uh cumbersome and overwhelming um that you just don't get around to doing it yeah that's exactly right um and that's actually why we ended up building freewill.com and there are plenty of other resources out there that are faster, um, less expensive, and um, frankly, quite intuitive um, online, including freewill.com. So we are a completely free service that allows people to do their wills, healthcare directives, financial powers of attorney online. And the key difference between someone who needs to find an estate planner and someone who can probably do it online is really just the complexity of their situation, as in for their estate, um, do they have a child with disabilities that they need to put aside a special trust for and a special guardian for? Um, do they have multiple marriages, for example, and um, the inheritance gets a little bit more complicated in those circumstances? If those are the circumstances that you're under um, or you have a very large estate and you want to be tax efficient, it can make a lot of sense to go to an estate planner. But if you're below the federal estate tax threshold, which is about $22 million combined in a state, that's a pretty high level. Most Americans fall below that and have pretty simple wishes. You can actually just go online to freewill.com or one of these other websites and get your estate planning done in, on our site, on average, it takes people 20 minutes to do each of these documents, which is not as bad as most people think. I think for a lot of people, um, it's not just complexity that keeps them from doing it. I know people who had to deal with their parents dying. You know, there, there was a surviving parent. And the parent died without having a will. The parent had never done a will because they thought that everything was just really simple, that, you know, they, they own their house. They didn't have any complex financial things going on, so they didn't need a will. And can you explain why that's not the case and how difficult it can be for the survivors when there's no will? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a couple different parts here. Um, the first one is people assume, oh, my assets are going to pass exactly the way that I want them to. So I don't need to put in any extra instructions in a will or a healthcare directive or a financial power of attorney. It turns out that these three documents cover way more than just where your assets go. So even if you want everything to be left to your spouse, they also cover things like, well, if you have minor children, who should be their guardian? If you have digital assets, who should be the executor for that? Um, if you have a pet, who should be the guardian for your pets? What are the particular things that your pets want or like? Um, and those things are generally in your will. In your healthcare directive and financial power of attorney, these documents can be potentially even more important. Basically, what they mean are if you get very sick and you can't make decisions for yourself anymore around, do you want a particular medical treatment or not, um, and you're unable to do things like pay your rent, it gives legal power for someone else to do these things for you. And if you don't have these documents in place, um, oftentimes the amount of time that it takes to appoint someone to have that power because you didn't write it down takes so long that it ends up creating a lot of problems. So for example, if your rent isn't paid on time, you don't want to end up in a situation where you were sick, you couldn't be home, and then when you do get better, you can't go home because 
you've been kicked out because your rent hasn't been paid. So these are the types of things that are inclusive in a complete estate plan that aren't just where do my assets go. So that's one piece of it. And the second piece, which I think you were alluding to a bit, is um, passing away without a will and being in what's called the intestate probate process is a lot longer and more complicated than if you had a will and go through the normal probate process. And that's because, um, you know, the local courts have to make assumptions around what it is that you want and identifying all of your relatives and potential beneficiaries and figuring out the right distribution of your assets amongst them is actually quite time consuming. And they have to be able to verify that all of those things are right before distributing any of those assets. So it ends up being quite a headache for um, your loved ones because they have to come up with all this documentation and be in the courts and wait a lot longer in order to get any of their inheritance versus if you wrote it down, it could be the same results, but um, that process will just be a lot easier on them. So let's say you have, so only 50% of baby boomers, you said, have a will. And but that's the generation being hit the hardest right now. But also mm-hmm. aside from COVID, probably the generation most likely, <laughs> for, you know, to to die, you know, in the near to long future, right? Just statistically. Um, So for those of us who have parents who are, you know, of that age, you know, boomers, um, and maybe older, how do you start this conversation? And I think people are so worried about looking greedy, or, you know, looking like they want their parents to die, you know, like there's, and people get very defensive, and it gets very weird. How can you have this conversation with your parents, maybe even just starting with the medical directive one of, you know, if you were sick, would you want to be ventilated? Would you want extreme measures? Because I think a lot of people have the do not resuscitate conversation, but it Mm -hmm. seems like there's a lot of other conversations that need to be had, um, that that's just this one little piece. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Starting that conversation can be very hard. Uh, I have parents who are baby boomers and... I remember the first time I broached the subject, my mom just kind of gave me those eyes. I was like, nope, we're not talking about this right now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I just kind of had to find her at the right time to talk about it. And and that could happen. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person or mean that you're raising a conversation that doesn't need to be had. I think the most important thing to start with is by having this conversation, you are doing a really kind thing for your parents and just realizing that that is true. And even though it's hard, it's going to save not only your parents, but also, you know, your siblings, their other loved ones, a lot of um, pain and hurt and hard decisions later. Um, So, you know, for example, when you're already grieving because and stressed and worried because your parent is sick, having to make a decision that not only has implications on how long do they live or their quality of life, um, but also financially, right? Like, can I actually afford to put them on a particular treatment? These are really hard decisions to make, even when, you know, you're in a normal emotional state. Um, When you're grieving, it can become nearly impossible. And so I think that's why so many doctors, um, especially who see this case again and again and again in hospitals, really encourage their patients to have an advanced directive. So let's start there. 
Um, the first thing with an advanced directive that's really important to talk about is actually values. And this is um, quite different from people's intuition when they see maybe a DNR form or a pulse form and they jump right into, you know, the nitty gritty medical wishes around, do you want a ventilator? Or do you want nutrition or hydration? Those things are important, but they're actually less important than establishing values. So when I talk about values, what I mean are things like, um, if you were having a good day, what would you be doing? Or what makes life worth living? You know, what types of activities do you need to be able to do to make life worth it? Um, or is religion and spirituality important to you? And how does that affect the way that you get medical treatment um, in if you get really sick? So um, the reason why it's important to start with these questions is oftentimes the nitty gritty of whether or not you want to be in a ventilator or whether or not you want nutrition and hydration is very particular to the illness at hand. And in fact, many advanced directives have started moving away from just having those specific medical wishes and moving more towards values. Because if you know the values, you can have a conversation with your loved one, your parent's doctor saying, I know this is what they want ultimately. This is like how they would be happy with their life. Um, doctor, tell me, given what you know about their particular illness and about the various interventions, how we can get there. And that ends up being um, a way better conversation with the doctor as well, because um, that medical professional who has been trained and understands the particulars of various situations um, can give you advice that's particular to your parents. So I would say if you can have any of the conversations around end of life, figuring out values around what it means to live a fulfilling um, life is probably the most important. And you can document those in a legal advance directive. So that's so interesting. So rather than like no hydration, it's more like if I can no longer feed myself, if I can no longer bathe myself, if I can like those kinds of things. Exactly right. Like if I can't talk to my children and grandchildren, if I mm -hmm. am in incredible pain, it's not worth it. So these are the types of um, things that oftentimes make it easier to ultimately make uh, decisions uh, around healthcare. And I'm just going to chime in here because I, I can't even agree with you more. Um, when my mom had a stroke and had aphasia and could not communicate um, and couldn't in any way make herself understood, even though she was fully you know, alive and there, um, and we brought in a doctor who basically said, but she still has joy you know, she gets to see you guys. And it was like, yeah, no, there's no joy here at all. None whatsoever. And I think um, establishing, you know, what does bring you joy and what makes you happy and what is the point at which you just don't want to have life-saving um, heroics or intervention is really, really important to establish. Yeah. And so here's my other question for you, because sometimes, um, and maybe oftentimes, it's not just uh, only child having this conversation, right? There's siblings or maybe nieces and nephews or maybe cousins. How, once these documents are drafted, how do you make sure everyone 
knows about them or gets them because, um, you know, there's a lot of people I think about this all the time. I'm like, if we die, who knows where our will is? Like, <laughs> like it's on like a cloud somewhere. But with the how do you even know? Um, so after you, you know, draft a document like this, your medical directives, your um, your will, what should you do with them? This is a fantastic question and one that not many people ask. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, for the three documents that we've talked about so far, the will, which is mostly about where your assets go after you pass away, your healthcare directive, which is about, you know, healthcare wishes when you're sick and financial power of attorney. Um, the answer is different for the three documents. So with the will, most lawyers will recommend that you do not share copies of the actual will with your loved ones and beneficiaries, but rather only the location. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, your wishes might change over time with a will. And um, in order to reduce the chances that there's a will contest or someone who thought they were in the will but no longer is in the will, um, can slow down the process of probate or maybe argue something that you didn't intend after you pass away, it's important to actually keep the contents of your will um, more private. And uh, that's just something to ensure that when you're no longer around and able to speak for yourself, that your final will is the one that gets acted upon. Your healthcare directive and financial power of attorney are very different. For those documents, most um, uh, attorneys will actually recommend that you distribute it quite widely. And the reason is, if you're sick, oftentimes it's a pretty time-sensitive thing in order to find this information. And also, it's less likely that there are bad incentives that people will act in a way that you didn't want. The financial power of attorney is a little bit more sensitive because sometimes it can include things like rights to give gifts away from your bank accounts mm. um, and can include control on your bank account. So you might want to be more thoughtful on that one, depending on your particular situation, who it is that you trust. But your advanced directive, most doctors and lawyers will say, spread copies of that around as widely as possible. So make sure all the siblings have it, all the loved ones have it, this partner has it. Um, and better yet, if everyone has been able to have a conversation with your loved one about their advanced directive, and that's um, even better. No, that's great. Um, and so now let's say here I am, we're all in the digital world and you have your Facebook account, <laughs> you have your email. I don't know, you have your airline and hotel points. Like what mm -hmm. happens with all of that digital stuff? Yeah, that's also a great question. So um, digital assets have become more and more important over time. And um, what you'll find in many estate plans is there'll actually be a separate digital executor, as in someone who is in charge of all your digital assets um, that you can nominate separately from your executor. So the reason for this would be I have someone who's really good at finances and accounting or very responsible or has good relationships with the family. So I think they're a good executor. You know, those might be traits you look for an executor. But for a digital executor, you might look for someone who's maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more digitally savvy, someone who doesn't mind going in and emailing, you know, 10 different sources with a death certificate attached saying, hey, um, I'm the digital executor. I would now like to take over the social media account so that I can, you know, post some final messages, post some final pictures and gracefully, you know, take this um, account down. Um, 
And other assets that are important to think about for digital assets include not just your social media account, email accounts, um, your rewards, your digital property. So what movies did you buy and download onto your computer or CDs um, back when we all had CDs? Um, but also things like digital photos, right? So think about what percentage of our photos now are online in the cloud versus printed. Um, it's more and more every year. So um, a digital executor is someone who you might want to nominate who um, would be good at and comfortable with going through all of those assets and deciding where should they go. Should people also... Um make a, a, a password list, you know, obviously protected somewhere, but so that that digital executor or someone could come in and just access someone's email account, you know, and maybe look at emails that are coming in or, or send out a note to, to people in that contact list or have access to the banking passwords. I mean, those are all things that, um, you know, you need to go through different layers of courts and, and, you know, having permissions to access that if you don't know the password to get in. How do you, how do you go about doing that? Mm -hmm. So there are a couple different ways to do this. Um, one is you can actually just write it down on a piece of paper with your will and store it in that safe place. Um, so when we talk about safe place, most people recommend, you know, wherever you would put your passports or your birth certificate, marriage certificate, um, those sorts of documents is where you might want to store your will and your passwords. Um, many people recommend not to lock it up in a, you know, a fireproof box because that password to your fireproof box might get lost and it might be hard for people to access those documents. So that's one way to do it. Put it on paper. A second way to do it is to use one of um, a range of online products that are really helpful here and, there are things like LastPass and other password managers um, to which I believe some have started adding in features around having other people access your passwords should something like this happen. Um, or there are also companies that deal very specifically in storing passwords for if you pass away. And then finally, if you do forget to write your passwords down or your passwords change all the time and it might not be worth it to write down one state of password when they're going to change, um, you can also have comfort that with, you know, a death certificate um, that your loved ones should be able to get access to these accounts anyway if they write into the various services. And every digital service has their own policy around this, um, but by and large, you don't need to worry that, um, you know, your account will be stuck forever. Right. I mean, I've had friends, too, who have had that conversation with their parents about putting one or all the siblings on the bank account as a co-signer, you know, previous to so that the banks, at least like you will have access to that because you are um, an account holder, which seems to make things much easier. But that's another weird conversation with parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you might want to do that for personal, uh, for really important personal accounts. Um, but it's very family specific whether or not that's something that folks would be comfortable right. with. I know for my own parents, they will not put me as co-signers. Um, <laughs> Can we go back to the whole concept of doing this online and actually getting all of your legal documents um pulled together without having to go make an appointment with an estate attorney. Once you fill these out, 
Can you walk us through the process a little bit? Do they have to be notarized? Are they legally binding right away? How does that work? Yeah, great question. Um, So I can answer most clearly what happens on freewill.com, although some of these other online providers might do things a little bit differently, but generally it'll go like this. So you will log on to that website, you'll create an account, um, you will get asked a series of questions very similar to what a lawyer would ask you, um, and you'll answer those one by one. Questions like, you know, are you married? What's your birth date? What's your marriage date, etc. These are identifying pieces of information so people know that this will belongs to you. Um, all of the questions associated with that particular document, um, we've talked about the three basic documents. And then when you get to the end, usually you'll be able to print out a PDF um, of your legal document. So um, after you print that out, you have to go through what's very important, um, which is called the kind of execution ceremony, um, where you make this document legally binding. Um, Depending on the document and what state you're in, the steps to do that are a little bit different. But usually for a will, it's you need to find two witnesses who are not beneficiaries, who are not otherwise quote-unquote interested parties in your estate. So think maybe your neighbors, your colleagues, um, friends, um, to witness your document. And so the three of you will get into a room together and you will look at them and say, this is my last will and testament, or this is my healthcare directive. And they will nod and say, yes, I see you and recognize that you are of sound mind and you're making this decision. And then the three of you will sign the document. So being asked all the questions and completing the form, as I mentioned, on average takes about 20 minutes. And then getting it witnessed with the right people could take, you know, five minutes, two minutes. Usually the longest period of time is figuring out who those witnesses will be. Um, And then notarization is something that is always necessary for a financial power of attorney, um, in part because the powers there are so powerful, you know, controlling someone's bank account or being able to pay various debits from various accounts. And also some people notarize the will as well. So on the will, it is usually an option to notarize, not required. The only state where it's required is Louisiana. And when you get it notarized, what you want to do is instead of just witnessing with two other people, you want to bring your witnesses to a notary. um, And there are many places where you can get documents notarized. Um, Most like FedEx and USPS um, locations have a notary in-house. You can also just search online. And sometimes pharmacies will have it, etc. And you go in and all three of you guys will sign the document together. Um, So that's the basics. So not too difficult at all. It's just kind of getting your mind around just doing it. (laughs) Yep. Great. Well, now no excuses <laughs> for anyone. Um, you know, I, I love especially your tip about having that conversation around values. I know um, for me, having that conversation with my mom was helpful to just start talking about what I would want. So it sort of opened the conversation. It wasn't like, you're going to die first. Let's have this conversation. It was like, <laughs> I know that I would not want to be. So it kind of was a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that idea around values seems like much, much better. And I know that kind of changes for people too, as they get older, that things they thought maybe they wouldn't want, maybe they're like, oh, maybe that'd be okay. Um, so I, I think it's good to constantly have that conversation, but thank you so much, Jenny. This was incredibly helpful. We'll have links to freewill.com and everything we talked about on the show page. 
And thank you so much again. Be healthy, be safe, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. You all too. We'll be right back with our Bites of the Week. This episode of Parenting Bites is brought to you by KiwiCo. KiwiCo is so cool. If you have a child, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, a little cousin, and now they're learning at home, this is the subscription box for them. It's science and art tested by kids. It's more fun than any game they can play, and it gets them off the screen. My little niece did a really cute coding project. She loved it. It was art. It was science. It got her busy for like a good hour by herself. My sister was so happy. (laughs) So she she really was. So check out this KiwiCo subscription box. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid, all ages at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com slash parenting. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash parenting. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? I have something that honestly always bothered me before this pandemic. And every flu season, I would vow to do something about it. But then I never did because like... Everybody uses a hand towel in their bathroom, like just a family hand towel. There's a towel on the rack. If guests come over, they're using that towel. And I always thought it was kind of gross, but it was one of those things where like everybody did it, so it must be okay. And at the beginning of uh, the lockdown, I got rid of all of our hand towels. I didn't throw them out, but we're not using them anymore. And in the downstairs bathroom, which everybody uses, I bought like this you know, kind of nice looking dispenser. And then a giant case of, you know, one use disposable hand towels that you would probably see in like an office. And then in the upstairs bathrooms, which just aren't used as much, I have like Kleenex boxes of hand towels. And now that we're doing that, I'm so grossed out that we all used to share the same (laughs) hand because like I'm, I totally understand. I'm sorry, but like <laughs> it's so gross. I'm so, teenagers are gross, and I if know. your kids, and especially if you have small kids, they're not washing their hands properly. They're just not, and then they're wiping it on the towel. And the reason that I know that people are not washing their hands the right way is that all of our hand towels were white, so I would see how dirty they would get. And ideally, hand towels would not get dirty, but they did. So. That is something that I'm keeping forever when all of this is over, and I will put links to both of the things that I have, and um, I'm just going to be totally grossed out next time I go into somebody's bathroom and I have to use their hand towel. I hear you. I totally do. It's <laughs> it's like one of those things you just, it's how bathrooms are built, right? With that little hook right there, mm-hmm. and you just put the hand towel, but it's so true. It's and really gross. You know what? If you have like one of the, the regular bars to put your hand towel, unfortunately, we don't. We have the rings. But if you have the bar, the Kleenex box is actually designed to sit upside down in that. So you just pull a towel out. Ah, interesting. All right. All right, Andrea. That works. That works. <laughs> I always try to have those paper, little paper towels, you know. The guest towels. People, yeah, guest towels. Which are nicer towels. than these. These are like, these are rougher, you know, because you're going through a lot. So they're a lot cheaper. 
It's actually funny. My mother-in-law, her guest towels were always so fancy that I never wanted to use them. Right. <laughs> so like I would end up looking around for tissues because they were all like embroidered. Wipe your hands like, on your pants. <laughs> I know. I'm like, am I supposed to use those? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrea, what do you have? All right. So I have been exercising and working out. I think I talked about a few of the um, the free online apps I've been using, like Peloton and Crunch Live. And um, so I have been trying out the new Fitbit. It's the Fitbit Charge 4. And, you know, I've had fitness trackers from the beginning, from the very first original Fitbit. And they always wind up in a drawer, I do have to admit. But this one... I'm finding to be more useful than any other. And here's the reason why. It has something called active heart rate uh, notification. And what it does is when I'm walking, so it it also has a bunch of different goal-based exercises, walking, walking outdoors, treadmill, lifting. So when I take my walk in the morning with friends and we go up and down hills here in the community and it's usually, we think it's a three-mile walk. Well, no, according to my (laughs) Fitbit, it's only 2.3 miles. Um, But what it does is it tracks my heart rate as I'm walking and I can feel it buzzing on my wrist, letting me know, hey, I'm in my fat burning zone or I'm in my cardio zone. And so it's great for like if you spin or do that kind of exercise where you want to stay in a certain zone, whether it's fat burning or cardio, you know if you have to back off or work harder if you're someone who likes to exercise that way. For me, I like it because at the end it tells me what my you know highest heart rate was, what my resting heart rate was. And then if I've gone into those zones for a period of time, it gives me bonus points like, you know, healthy tracking. Yeah. Um, and it's also got built-in GPS, which I don't use. I turn it off so that I can save on battery. Um, but if you want to track your route and it's got sleep tracking and of course your text notifications and everything, and I'm loving it. So, and it comes in purple. Well, it's actually called Rosewood, but (laughs) (laughs) so this one might be a keeper. Yeah, I have to say I have the Versa 2 and, um, I bought my Versa 1, but they did send me a Versa 2 and, Same thing. It's everything that you said, except for the built in GPS. And Mm -hmm. I adore it. And Andrea, I don't know if you've connected yours to Weight Watchers, but it it calculates your fit points. No. Yes. I did not know that. It will calculate your fit points. And the harder you work out, the more points you get and the more you can eat. I swear to God, it is the only reason why I get out of my chair is to get fit points so that I can eat more. That's awesome. But I connected my my phone so it takes my Apple Health, but the Apple Health isn't giving me that heart rate zone. Yeah, no, you have to connect it to your to your Fitbit. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. I will do that. Thank you. Anyway, I'm loving it. I'm really, really, I love seeing, you know, when I'm in certain zones and when I'm working out and, you know, it helps me meet my goals, which is something that I didn't even know I had. (laughs) Now you do. (laughs) Now I do. So my bite this week is in the New York Times. They have been doing these virtual walking tours around the city because none of us can walk around the city. Um, or you can't leave your little, you know, five block radius. So you better love your neighborhood. They did an amazing one this week called When Manhattan Was Manahatta, A Stroll Through the Centuries. And they recreated what Manhattan looked like from the time of the Lenape Indians. It is 
so cool. So it's all downtown, basically, because that's what existed. Um, but they talk about the building of the reservoirs and where the rivers ran through Manhattan and where the original wall was, which became Wall Street, um, and the giant hills of oyster shells that existed. And it's so fascinating. And they talk about Nut Island, which is now Governor's Island, and they recreate it on this website into these beautiful pictures where it shows now and then obviously what it would have looked like. I mean, they go all the way back to the dinosaurs (laughs) (laughs) and the glaciers that formed with a different topography um, of Brooklyn, Queens, and then Manhattan. It's mostly Manhattan, but they have obviously have to touch on Brooklyn and Queens because those was also formed by um, glaciers. But just he talks about the wealth of animals and the different kinds of trees and flora and forests. It, it's so amazing. And you can really imagine it, um, what it was like when Henry Hudson sort of first came upon it. And just the amount of water is kind of unbelievable. I mean, Canal Street was a canal. Um, oh, that's so, so cool. It's so cool. It's I can't recommend it enough. I'm like so into this stuff. So take a look um, on the New York Times. They did a beautiful job. I mean, it's truly beautiful. And, you know, enjoy. Enjoy a walk that you couldn't take anyway, <laughs> even if you weren't That's quirky. very cool. I mean, let's it's face really it, cool. even if we weren't under lockdown, I'd probably rather do it online anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, like, what, looking, you have to kind of look at it online with the recreation because it's not like if you were walking around Wall Street, you'd be like, oh, yes, I envision this. Like, you would never envision it. Because <laughs> it would be know? so hard to envision it the way it is right now. It, it sounds, so you know hard. what it sounds like? Another thing that was your bite years ago, it sounds like a Bowery Boys episode come, come to visual life. Totally. I wish they would do that. They should like team up because um, the New York Times has the capability to do such extraordinary things online and they do. But it's truly a walking tour. They're like, let's start here. And then they find things in other areas like in Westchester and things that like still look like what that would have looked like, like an area that hasn't been touched. So Hmm. um, there's this massive pond that existed downtown and they have a there's a preserve in Westchester that kind of looks like what that probably looked like. So they put those pictures up. It's really cool. But you don't get any fit points for it. (laughs) <laughs> no. you, you can walk around your house while you, you look can at your get phone. a little vr thing going and i'll walk just shake my house. hand while i'm watching <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that's right now come on if your fitbit's working the right way then shaking your hand shouldn't do it that's true it, it talks about how like incredibly lush and everything was and what's so interesting is he said imagine if our country had been um settled from west to east instead of east to west that by the time they got east they might have preserved all of that as park right because like that's what happened out west is basically like all those forests and everything stayed um it just was like an interesting thought of wow that would have been weird (laughs) like that would have been really weird if the dutch hadn't come and the british hadn't come and this is where they all landed but um if this has just been wild lush national park all of manhattan crazy Uh, but anyway it's really cool we'll put a link to it that is our show for today you'll find links to everything we talked about on our website parentingbites.com as well as on our show page facebook.com slash parenting bites where you will find a link to the episode please leave us comments ideas let us know how you're doing in quarantine Let us know if you have a will or medical directive or if you've found a unique way to broach the subject with your parents. 
And please rate, review, subscribe, and share wherever you listen to us. Until next week, be healthy, be safe. Happy parenting. Bye. 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 Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.